1: Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is far-fetched fables. Welcome to show number one hundred and eighty two. Now, unfortunately, I have to give you a quick reminder before we begin. As of this episode, far-fetched Fables is switching to a bi-weekly format for the foreseeable future. Advertising revenue can be a fickle thing, and that's why we encourage listeners to make a donation via our Patreon page whenever possible, because every little bit helps keep the lights on. As of now, we'll have to only turn the lights on once every two weeks, instead of every week. So, today we bring you a dark slice of urban fantasy by the inimitable Karen Tarvis, titled The Man Who Did Nothing. Karen is the author of a dozen New York Times bestsellers, and her critically acclaimed Vesha books have been finalists five times for the Campbell and Philip K. Dick Awards. Her latest novels, Going Grey and Black Run, are military thrillers set in the present day. Her comics work with Batman, Gears of War and G.I. Joe has earned her a broad range of fans, and she also writes games. A former defence correspondent, newspaper reporter and TV journalist, she lives in Wiltshire in England. You can find information on her works at karentravis.com. The story is read by Ron John. Ron is a writer, narrator and singer. He has written and published children's books, scripts and screenplays for animation and live action, and musical lyrics and libretti. He is a student of strange phenomena, parapsychology, horror and children's literature Ron John writes short weird fiction under the name The Specter Collector. See his disturbing videos and hear more of his work on The Specter Collector blog. Download his disturbing albums on the Specter Collector band campsite, and his latest recordings are The Car in the Woods and The Station Master's Cottage. But for now, let's meet The Man Who Did Nothing.
1: early rise, May 2. There was a boy, 5, maybe 6, sitting on half a discarded mattress by the kerb as Jeff drove down the road. At first he thought the child was trying to open a bottle of pop, but the closer he got, the better he could see that the boy was making a petrol bomb. Jeff slowed to a crawl and then stopped. He didn't dare switch the engine off. Not here. A daffodil nodded in the grass at the side of the road and the whine of a power drill competed intermittently with music throbbing from an open window. The normality didn't reassure him. He opened the car window about six inches. The child was trying to thread some rags into the neck of a beer bottle, pausing every so often to hold the bottle up to the light, sigh, and resume his task of working the rag into the neck of the bottle with his index finger. For a moment... "'Jeff thought about getting out and taking the thing from him. "'Then an older boy in the latest Manchester United tracksuit "'walked up to the kid and crouched over him, "'like a protective elder brother, "'and took the bottle gently from him. "'He examined the wick, pushed it further into the bottle, "'and handed it back to the kid. "'That was how you did it.' "'Then both boys looked up at Jeff, as if moving as one.' "'Antichrist! Fucking Antichrist!' they shouted, and the bottle, unlit mercifully, arced and crashed onto the road just short of the driver's door. Both boys ran back up the road, not looking back. He should have, should have, got out of the car and taken the lethal little toy from the kid. He should have marched him back to his own front door and berated his mother for letting such a tiny child handle potential destruction.' He should have done something. But he didn't. It was Hurley Rise, and these were dangerous times, and the shabby little housing estate was going mad. He accelerated away towards the city centre. Hurley Rise, Citizens Drop-In Centre, nine days earlier. I don't see why he should be living next door to me, said the woman in the interview booth. She smelled of chip fat and isimiyaki perfume. In the small plaster-bordered space, the combination was distracting. He's the Antichrist. Can't you do something about it? Get him moved or something? It wasn't an unusual request to make of your ward counsellor. Since Jeff Blake had started holding evening surgeries at the community centre, he had seen two constituents complaining about military radar upsetting their racing pigeons and a man who lined his loft with cooking foil to stop military intelligence beaming messages into his home. He had wanted an improvement grant to pay for lead sheet, just to be on the safe side. How do you know he's the Antichrist, Mrs Avery? Jeff asked. He caught the inside of his cheek discreetly between his teeth to stifle a laugh. You couldn't mock a voter a week before an election. I mean, we can't just go in and evict the bloke like that. The courts will want some grounds for action. He's evil. Pure evil. Well, lots of people aren't very lovable, Mrs Avery. It doesn't make them the devil. Since he moved in here, there's been nothing but trouble in our road. "'He's a weird old sod, lives on his own. "'The kids are terrified of him.' "'Yes, but why do you think he's the Antichrist?' "'She looked at him for a brief blank moment, "'as if the word had thrown her. "'Then she puffed a sigh and began rummaging in her bag. "'While her head was tilted down, "'he could see the darker roots of her red spiky hair. "'A packet of low-tar cigarettes and the latest, tiniest, slimmest.' Mobile phone clattered onto the melamine table while she excavated. There, she said at last, and she handed him a creased strip of newspaper. The headline was from one of the tabloids. Antichrist will appear on council estate, warns Recluse. The story reported the ramblings of a man who predicted the new millennium would see the arrival of the beast in a humble home, The man, said the story, had no electricity, phone, or mains water, but kept track of the world events by communicating with the cosmic consciousness on his allotment. He claimed the Antichrist would be identified by the trail of havoc he left behind him. Jeff handed the cutting back to Mrs. Avery. I thought it was 666, he said. What is? The identifying mark of Satan. Mrs. Avery scowled. She had one of those flat, hard little faces, with thin lips and broad noses, the prevailing type on the estate. Inbred, he decided, whining and helpless. It wasn't a view he would voice, not even to his wife, Bev. He wished secretly for the working class of his dad's generation, skilled manual workers with scrubbed front doorsteps, all neat, proud poverty, and a horror of higher purchase. "'You'll laugh the other side of your bleeding face when he starts,' she said. "'She stood and slung her bag over her shoulder. "'And don't expect me to vote for you, neither. "'I'm coming back with a petition.' "'Hers was just one vote. "'He had 7,000 majority here, "'even if the party was holding on to an overall control of the council just by one seat. "'And as leader, he was assured a safe one. "'He watched her departing back with no regrets.' "'Silly cow,' he said to himself. "'He gathered up his papers to go home. "'He was on time. "'He wouldn't have to grab a takeaway as a peace offering to Huffy Bev, "'silently angry after yet another dinner left to congeal in the oven on a low heat. "'While he was fumbling in his briefcase for his car keys, his phone wobbled. "'He put the case on the roof of the car and took the phone, "'clunkier, older, less desirable than mad Mrs. Avery's chic device, from his jacket.' Jeff Blake? Jeff, it's Warren. We've got a bit of a problem. Christ, when haven't we? He could hear the bar sounds in the background. Are you in the staff club? Yeah. I thought you were supposed to be out canvassing for Graham. Some poxy deputy you are. Well, this is about Graham. Rustling noises and the sudden drop in a background noise suggested Warren had moved somewhere secluded. He's in a spot of trouble. What now? Drink driving? Computer porn. Accessed using the council network. Who knows about it? Only a few people. IT staff, internal audit and the chief executive. Okay, first thing in the morning, I want you and him in my office. First thing, mind. I want it sorted. Jeff got in the car and sat for a few minutes in despairing silence before turning the key and moving off. A slithering noise above his head, followed by a dull thud, made him hit the brakes. He looked in the rear-view mirror. His briefcase, split open by the fall from the car roof, was scattering papers to the breeze. Oh, bollocks, he said, and Mrs. Avery's antichrist seemed like an easier problem to deal with right then. Memo 2. Head of Housing Service From Hursley Area Housing Manager Re. 15 Barton Crescent. We have had six more complaints from tenants today, asking us to evict Michael Warburton of 15 Barton Crescent, on the basis that he is the Antichrist. We have also had a similar complaint from an owner-occupier in Waverley Gardens about Frank James Morton of Flat 35. My staff have explained... We have no power to evict if there is no breach of the tenancy agreement, and that they can't both be the Antichrist. I know these people have unusual views, but we are aware there is talk of doing the job themselves. I would appreciate some support and advice on the situation before it boils over. There was a Victorian painting of a former Lord Mayor hanging in the corridor leading to Jeff's office at the town hall. It always bothered him. As he walked closer, he could see a grotesque, round-faced figure with cartoon-like circular eyes, and as he drew level with it, the face resolved into grim, patriarchal realism. He knew it was just the light playing on the swirls and texture of the oil paint, but these days all things seem sinister, imbued with darker meaning.' Graham Vance was already sitting in the office, looking for all the world like a schoolboy in need of a good slap. His face seemed as if the years had been put on it by a make-up artist, craped and puffed and grey on top of youth, as if he could be restored to his boyish prettiness just by peeling it all off. "'Go on, cower, you little shit,' Jeff thought. "'I'll teach you to risk this party's majority.' He leaned forward and braced his elbows on the desk. Why the hell did you go through the council network? You know it's monitored. Graham struggled. So what have I done? Downloading child porn. No way. You've emailed pictures to all your noncy mates too. Don't lie to me. Vance looked slightly thrown. He pulled a dismissive face. It's a private matter, and it was just pictures, only teenagers. It's not as if I've been caught with a little kid, is it? I don't believe what I'm hearing. You make me sick. Prove I've done something illegal. Someone probably could. But what worries me most is what it looks like to the voters. Jeff glanced down the printout on his desk, line after line, thousands of them of www.coms and incomprehensible things except for words like ripe schoolgirls and toilet boy. You're on one of those social services subcommittees. What are you going to do? Do I have to do anything? I'd suggest you resign, but it's too close to the election, and we'd have to explain you away to the media. Graham didn't appear contrite. Fuss about bugger all, Really? Really? Like the drink driving and the prostitute on the civic trip to France? It's all pretty harmless stuff. Nothing extreme. I wouldn't know. I'm not much inclined to look at it either. That's Audit's job. You're a disaster waiting to happen for this party. Jeff gave up trying to stare him into an apology and leaned back in his chair. After the election, if we get back in... If you get back in... You need my seat to keep overall control of this council, Graham said. You want the opposition to walk in? This is dirty washing we can do in private, he paused. You can talk the chief exec out of taking this to the standards committee, can't you? Can't promise, Jeff said, hearing himself bluff and hating himself for it. Now piss off, and don't let me hear another word out of you. He sat alone in his office with the door shut for a long time after Graham had left, and tried to clear his correspondence. So men looked at pawn on the net. It was human nature. With any luck, Graham might not have done anything criminal. He'd see the chief internal auditor later, just to make sure he knew the size of the problem. But it was time he should have been out canvassing. One-seat majorities didn't look after themselves. Petition from the Residence Action Committee of Hurley Rise to Dennington Vale Borough Council. We, the undersigned, want the Antichrist and his accomplices off our estate so decent people can live in peace and safety. We know who they are and where they are. We have a list of them. They should not be living near families. If the Council don't get them out, then we will. The phone rang. "'Answer the bloody thing,' Bev growled into her pillow "'and pulled the duvet up over her head. "'Jeff looked at the alarm clock. "'It wasn't quite midnight. "'The voice on the end of the phone was a reporter from the local paper. "'Have you got any comments on the riots, Councillor Blake?' "'At first, the words didn't register. "'Jeff turned the word riot round in his mind. "'What riot?' "'I thought you'd know about it by now.' They're setting fire to houses at Hurley Rise. And there's a running battle between police and residents. About a 120 coppers there now. Jeff found himself drowning in panic. Porn scandal, breakdown of law and order, media circus, election disaster. I'll get back to you, he said, and slammed the phone down. He was into his clothes and halfway down the path to the garage when he remembered he had left without telling Bev where he was going or even knowing which road he was heading for. But as he drove closer to Hursley, he couldn't miss the glow of a blaze outlining the youth activities centre or the police vans heading away from it with their blue lights strobing. The last one to pass him bore the livery of the neighbouring county's force. They must have called for reinforcements. A klaxon behind him made him pull over, and a fire engine sped past him, clipping the bollard in the centre of the road. Even two streets away he could hear dogs barking, glass smashing, occasional cheers. It sounded like a football match. And then he could smell it. Petrol, smoke and diesel exhaust. He rounded the corner by the eight till late, where two men were hammering boards across a shattered window and slowed to a creep. A dull thud on the back window made him break hard. The car stalled. He swung round in his seat, expecting a mob and missiles, but there was nothing. Then someone rapped hard on the passenger side window. Jesus! Jeff, turn around. Are you bloody insane? It was Gwen Hillier, another of the three Hursley Rise ward councillors. He wound down his window. She was pointing frantically, like a crazed race marshal, I said, turn around, park down Stanley Street. It took Gwen a few minutes to catch up with him. She leaned on her stick and struggled for breath. The dim red glow shone off the rims of her spectacles. I've lived here sixty years, and I've never seen them go off like this, she said. Not that you'd know that. Living in Vale End. I've had to run for it. Me. They went berserk and started pointing and saying it was council's fault for moving them in. Who's them? The hordes of Satan. Don't joke. Get around to Barton Crescent and take a look. They won't recognize you, will they? You never come here. I'm the leader of the council, Jeff thought. They'll expect me to do something statesmanlike. He set off at a jog towards the center of the estate, slowing sooner than he expected to a wheezing half walk, half stumble. Middle-age wasn't treating him as well as he had imagined. And then... When he reached the junction at Barton Crescent and the main road through the estate, he saw a scene straight from Hieronymus Bosch. A small van was lying on its side, ablaze. A fire crew was playing a hose on it, retreating every few seconds under a hail of bricks and bottles from a group of youths. Behind them, another crew was trying to get into a house where flames were spitting from a ground-floor window. A cordon of police with visors and riot shields were forcing back screaming residents to clear a path. Everywhere Jeff looked, there were ugly little cameos of violence and destruction, and a disturbing number of small children picking up debris where it fell and hurling it back into the melee. And there were TV cameras. Jeff spotted them just after they spotted him. A cameraman and a reporter sprinted across to him, dodging bottles. Councillor Blake!' What do you make of this? Jeff couldn't see past the brilliant white light perched on top of the camera, and all he could think of was how scruffy he must have looked without a collar and tie. It's... it's an outrage, he said. The autopilot that drove all politicians took over. This is the work of a few hotheads, probably not even locals... But what do you say to people who claim you've allowed the Antichrist to move on to an estate full of families and have ignored pleas to move him out? I say it's complete garbage in this day and age. This isn't the Middle Ages. It's just an excuse for drunken vandalism, and I can promise a full inquiry. The light snapped off, leaving him blinking at yellow after-images, and he was alone again in a sea of chaos. He paused for a second and felt helpless. "'An inner voice said, "'Do something.' "'But nothing practical came to mind. "'A brick shattered into fragments a few feet from him, "'and he snapped out of the stupor and made a dash for the car. "'He'd never seen anything like it. "'There would be hell to pay in the morning.' "'The police superintendent walked towards him, "'flanked by two sergeants. "'She wiped her brow on the back of one hand, "'check a braided cap in the other. "'Glad I caught you,' she said.' The place has gone mad. Where's all this antichrist stuff come from? Bloody media, Jeff said. Bloody media. News headlines Wednesday, April 25th. 50 arrested in Hurley Rise antichrist riots. 20 police treated in hospital. Two homes looted and burned after residents flee. Tenants Action Group threatens to picket town hall to get devil men evicted. There was a Japanese film crew waiting on the steps of the town hall's Grand Palladian Portico. Jeff watched them for a few minutes from the window of the conference room. Look at them all, said the chief executive. They've set up satellite links at the back of the building, too. Can't complain we're not on the map now, can we, Lenny? Jeff sat down and leafed through a pile of morning papers, most bearing some headline with the words riot and antichrist in 72-point type. Welcome to Dennington, city of nutters. He's late, the chief executive said. Betty stopped off to survey the damage. Beelzebub? No, head of housing. Have you spoken to Audit about the stuff Graham Vance was downloading? Yes. And? It's pretty serious. Might be a good idea if he stood down from the social services subcommittee. And Audit thinks... We should call in the police. Ooh, that bad. Up to you, of course, leader. You could have made that decision yourself, Jeff thought. But it took a singularly brave chief executive to dump his political masters in the mire days before an election, and Lenny McAndrew was not that man. Nor was Graham Vance's taste in pornography the most pressing problem now. The meeting was more bewildered than grim. While they discussed the cost of repairs and loopholes in tenancy conditions, no one seemed keen to say a particular word. But Jeff felt he had to. How do we deal with the Antichrist angle? Just make a statement that we'll seek eviction of the rioters and that antisocial behaviour won't be tolerated, said Lenny. Dismiss it as mass hysteria. Jeff looked at the head of housing. He shrugged. They're threatening to do the bloke in Stanley Street now. Ah, wrong Antichrist, eh? Look, sir, I'm just reporting back. They want us to move him out. They're threatening to march on Town Hall tomorrow. We could suggest he move out voluntarily for his own safety. But he doesn't have to go. No, he doesn't have to do anything. Nothing we can evict him for? Arrears? He's done absolutely nothing other than being the victim of someone pointing the finger. Nobody moved. Jeff looked around the table. Time for a reassuring visit, Jeff said. Maybe Superintendent Davis would like to walk around Hursley Rise with me tomorrow before worried citizens of the Rise give the media some handy photo opportunities on our doorstep. He gathered up his papers and headed for his office. In the corridor, he ran into the chief internal auditor. The only thing he knew about her was that she liked to follow regulations. He always found it odd that a department whose name suggested number crunching was actually an internal police force. "'Want to see me?' Jeff said. "'Just wondered if you had been made aware of the seriousness "'of the material Councillor Vance was accessing. "'I gather it's nasty.' "'We really need to let the police take a look at the downloaded files. "'You are going to let me refer it to them, aren't you?' "'As soon as I've got the hurley Rice situation sorted,' he promised, "'and he knew, as soon as the words escaped him, "'that he would find a reason not to.'" Had it not been for a dozen TV crews, a heavy police presence and scorch marks around the charred window frames of the two boarded-up homes... Hursley Rise looked like any other working-class housing estate that morning. A bull terrier with lavish studded collar was worrying a black plastic sack of rubbish left on the pavement. A man was up a ladder painting his upstairs window-frames a particularly vivid yellow. A workman was installing a satellite dish on the roof of the Duke of Buckingham pub. "'House-Proud Area, in parts,' said Superintendent Davis." She kept a definite distance from Jeff in the back seat of the police car. He could smell leather, spray starch, and the same Chanel scent that Bev wore. Half the people here are tenants who bought their homes. Bet their property prices have fallen a bit overnight, eh? The patrol car kept up a reasonable pace, slow enough for the two passengers to observe, but too fast to be a target for bricks. Near the row of shops, by the bus stop, Two constables were engaged in a conversation with a woman pushing a pram. "'St. Peter and Paul was a red-brick church "'with a half-hearted bell-tower and a peeling notice-board. "'If the forces of darkness were gathering here, "'it didn't look like God had his troops on the ground. "'On the threadbare church green stood around a hundred women "'and a few men, most accompanied by children of varying ages, "'who were showing signs of boredom. "'Most had placards.' held down with lances so that Jeff could read the words, and two small boys were having a sword fight with theirs. "'I can talk them out of this,' Jeff said. "'Let me out here, and I'll go and meet them.' Superintendent Davis looked unimpressed. "'Wouldn't you like me there, too?' "'Hm. Uniform might start them off again.' He thought he heard her stifle a snort, but he said nothing and stepped out of the car into the chilly morning breeze. The twenty yards to the green suddenly seemed like a very long walk. He glanced back over his shoulder to check where the police car had parked. As he got closer, some of the crowd turned to stare. A child with a placard was facing him, and he could pick out the words on her white T-shirt, "'Kill evil now!' And suddenly he recognized the woman beside her, with the bright red dark-rooted hair and festoon of gold-chain necklaces." Mrs. Avery, he said, are you the leader of deputation? She narrowed her eyes. There was a cigarette smouldering in her hand, held well away from her own child, so that the smoke wafted towards someone else's. You've come to talk to us now, have you? If that's what you want. He was aware of people closing up behind him, women and children or not. It was a neck-prickling sensation. What can I say to reassure you? "'Just get that bastard out, "'or we'll be doing protest marches round the city until you do. "'You know I can't negotiate as long as there's the threat of violence.' "'Mrs Avery flicked the growing ash from her stub. "'Can't blame people if they get frustrated. "'We told you them blokes was evil.' "'You don't really believe there's an Antichrist, do you?' "'She stepped a little closer. "'She was a head shorter than him.' and none the less terrifying for it. You go and see him. It's the one next door to me, Stanley Street. The others were just his servants. Jeff was going to suggest they invite the vicar to join the group to discuss the whole Antichrist concept, when a thought hit him, a politician's thought. Okay, Mrs. Avery, he said. Do you know what I'm going to do now? Amaze me. I'm going to walk down to Stanley Street and knock on his door and talk to Mr. Hobbs and show you he's just a lonely old man, a mortal human. And maybe the kids are scared of him because he shouts at them when they're playing too near his garden. Doesn't that sound like a more rational explanation?
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
1: Mrs. Avery had a half-smile on her face as she ground her cigarette out under her very high heel. She reached for her daughter's hand and pulled the child to her side. Come on, Kaylee, pick your placard up and keep behind the man. She gestured like a commissionaire at a posh hotel. After you, Councillor Blake. The worst that could happen, Jeff thought, was that the old boy would come out and threaten them with a walking stick. Then... He could slip in and offer him a move to a nice new flat in the city centre with resident staff and a communal lounge area and perhaps a cash incentive to help him settle in. He kept walking, aware that Mrs. Avery was still behind him, but at a growing distance. As they came to Stanley Street, she called out, Number 27! The two houses either side were relatively well kept, one with window boxes of geraniums, and one with a red-and-blue decorative cartwheel hanging on the front wall. But the grass in the gardens was blackened and shriveled along a foot-wide strip where it flanked the house in the middle. Between them was a house that appeared not to be part of the street. Jeff looked again. He looked at the guttering and the line of the roof, and they ran smoothly into the next property. And yet it did not look there He put his hand on the gate. The wrought iron was polished, unrusted. The path to the door was immaculately laid, crazy paving, and there were no plants of any kind, not even the odd weed, just bare earth. He put his hand up to knock on the spotless, battleship-grey paintwork. The door swung open. A man in his late sixties stood there, ordinary as could be, in grey corduroy trousers and a grey cardigan, smiling. He seemed... "'to light grey a lot.' "'It was then that Jeff felt the rush of cold air past him, "'as if he had opened a freezer door. "'He looked round to say, "'See, Mrs. Avery, he's just...' But she was too far away. "'A small crowd standing at a stone-throwing distance "'were staring at the house, "'and they let loose a volley of bricks. "'One bounced off the window and hit Jeff in the leg "'before the old man grabbed his arm "'and pulled him into the hall to safety.' "'You're Mr. Hobbs,' he said. "'His legs stung. "'He glanced down at his trousers, baffled, "'and then realised the window was probably toughened, double-glazing. "'Lucky that didn't smash your window.' "'No danger on that. "'I thought you might pop around, Councillor,' said Mr. Hobbs. "'Come and sit down.' "'The Antichrist's front parlour contained two grey velveteen chairs "'and a television and a plain pine sideboard.' There were no photographs on the mantelpiece over the gas fire and no ornaments, except a carriage clock showing 10.23. Above it, on the wall, where most people might have hung a mirror, was a framed sampler, embroidered as usual with an uplifting quotation. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. Hobbes appeared in seconds with a tray bearing a pot and two porcelain cups of coffee, "'It smelt wonderful.' "'Can't bear mugs,' the old man said. "'Got to have a drink out of a proper cup, eh, Councillor Blake?' "'Thank you.' "'The coffee scalded his lips. "'I imagine things have been quite hard for you this last few weeks. "'Oh, the Stones never touched the house. "'Don't worry about me.' "'Forgive me. Hobbs seemed a pleasant old gent. "'They think you're the Antichrist.' "'Would you like to move out for a while, for your own safety? "'We can get you straight into a new flat, and we'd pay all your expenses, of course.' Hobbs sipped his coffee, as if considering the offer. His face was unlined, and his eyes were clear, but all the same he still looked old. "'I like it here,' he said, at last. "'I don't have to move, do I?' "'We can't make you, Mr. Hobbs. You've done nothing.' "'But we're worried about your safety, and we don't want any more rioting. "'Then I'll stay. I like it here.' "'But... Hobbs held up a translucent and manicured hand to command silence, "'polite and firm, as if he had once been someone important. "'But I'm the Antichrist, Counselor Blake. They can't harm me.' "'Oh, boy,' thought Jeff, "'they're nuts, and so is he.' Maybe he likes the attention. Maybe it stops him feeling so alone. Okay, he said carefully. What if they come with the uh, local vicar and try and force you out with the power of God? For the first time, Hobb showed the faintest hint of annoyance and his forehead puckered slightly. Now you're mocking me, Councillor Blake. Play along. Jeff snatched an idea out of memories of Sunday school. If you're the Antichrist, why come to Hurley Rise? Why not the Middle East? It's the atmosphere. Hobbs got up and inspected the coffee pot before topping up both cups. No, there's plenty of raw materials here for me. Apathy, suspicion, and cowardice. Would you call yourself a Christian, counselor? I suppose so then you probably think there's a little bit of God in all people. Personally, I think there's a little bit of me in everyone. He smiled engagingly, instantly a favourite uncle. In political terms, I'd like to think of myself as the opposition spokesman. Jeff stared back at him for a while. He was, in every sense, the picture of harmless normality. Except for the young old face and the absence of all living things in the garden, and that cold, cold air. As Jeff stared, he could see his own breath forming wispy vapour in front of him, and yet he didn't feel chilled. The clock now showed eleven-fifteen. Startled, Jeff bent his head automatically to drain his coffee cup, expecting to find it cold and the ideal cue to leave. It scalded his mouth. He flinched. "'Still nice and hot,' Hobbs said. "'Shall I show you out?' "'Thank you.' Jeff stood up and had to cast around him to find the front door. "'You'll think about what I said, though.' "'And you'll think about what I said.' He smiled. "'And don't worry too much about Graham Vance, will you?' Jeff stopped. Half formed a question and then thought better of it. He went to the window and rapped slightly on the pane with his knuckle— It was plain, ordinary, single-sheet glass, not toughened, not double-skinned. At that point, he wanted to get out of the house more than anything he had ever wanted in his life. The police car was waiting at a discreet distance. Bricks never break his bloody windows, said the constable driving the car. It was the first time he had spoken. None of us want to go near the place. They drove off. Jeff locked his hands together to stop the shaking. "'meshing his fingers until they went white, and his lips still burned. "'Letter to the editor. Saturday, April 28. "'Dear Sir, since Tuesday my life has been made a misery "'by these women parading up and down the street with their children "'at all hours in a so-called peaceful protest. "'My car has been damaged, and they have taken stones "'from my rock garden to throw at houses.' "'I have lived at Hurley Rise for thirty years, "'and I worked hard to buy my house to better myself. "'Shame on the council for not putting a stop to it. "'Yours faithfully, a respectable resident.'" Wednesday, May 2nd. The Chief Executive's Office overlooked the square and gave Jeff an excellent view of the protesters milling beneath them. On one side, Mrs. Avery's army of angry women, trailed by toddlers, was assembling. On the other... A smaller group of people milled around with placards bearing legends like Listen to the Silent Majority and Let Us Live in Peace. Mrs. Avery's troops waved placards a little less considered in their exhortations. Jeff could see at least one with Burn Them Out, and a child sporting a T-shirt labelled Satan Is Among Us. I think our education initiative in Hursley might have failed, judging by the spelling, said Lenny McAndrew and munched a chocolate biscuit. Both men stood at the window and waited. In No Man's Land, between the factions, film crews and police drifted, both stopping to interview in their own manner. "'You'd think the police would clear them out,' Jeff said. "'A right to a peaceful protest,' said Lenny. "'It's not as if they'd done anything.' Jeff spotted Mrs Avery, giving an earnest interview to a TV reporter, waving her arm passionately in the direction of the town hall. A toddler she had been gripping by the hand wandered off unnoticed. The noise of the crowd, audible even with the windows closed, began growing from a hum to a tumult. Something had clearly upset Mrs. Avery. She broke off from the interview and elbowed her way through the crowd to where a group of concerned residents against rioters had gathered. She flung herself at a man in a red tracksuit, and that was the last Jeff saw of her as the crowd began closing up and fighting broke out. I was afraid this would happen, said Lenny. Police could be seen as small dark patches struggling in the crowd, salmon swimming against the current. It's a police matter now, Jeff. Nothing we can do. The chief executive pulled the blinds. Time you thought about the election. Right now I'd rather not. About Graham Vance. Jeff felt his heart sink. What about him? Either you or I have the authority to refer the case to the police. I can understand why you might not want to do it before the election. Bear in mind that once we start the process going, we have to inform social services because of the child protection angle. And after that, we have very little control of it. What are you saying exactly? You might want to delay this a while. Say, until the end of next year? Jeff considered it. Yes, that would be far enough from this election, and far ahead enough of the next, for the political damage to be minimised, but if Vance really was a risk to anyone, he had enough time to cover his tracks and continue whatever he might be doing. Lenny seemed to interpret Jeff's silence as a prompt. Or we could just sort this out internally. No fuss. Do nothing, you mean? Not exactly nothing. You sound a lot like someone I was talking to yesterday, Jeff said, and he felt acid rise in his throat. Maybe there really is a bit of Hobbs in us all. Jeff went back to his own office and checked his messages. There were five threats of legal action from homeowners in Hursley Rise, whose house sales had fallen through following the disturbances, and ten council tenants asking to be moved out of the area because they were afraid of reprisals. It bothered Jeff that they called him rather than the housing department. That meant they identified him as the cause and solution to their crisis. And all that boded ill for the polls on Thursday. The city was going to the dogs, and he was sure he could do nothing to stop it. Police sirens wailed three stories below. God only knew what the headlines would look like in the papers. Perhaps he could pull off something by lunchtime. Something at the twelfth hour that would give him the front page in the evening paper. He decided to visit Mr. Hobbs one last time. The Antichrist was sitting by the small fish pond in his back garden. There were neither fish in it, nor plants. The surface was a frozen mirror, and there were no flowers or bushes in bloom, nor any starlings or blackbirds calling. I can't believe I'm having this conversation, Jeff said. The coffee was black and still did not seem to be cooling, however long he left it. But I'll ask again. Please move out. Leave us alone and let these people try and heal their community. Hobbs, the possible Antichrist, nodded politely. A listening nod rather than an agreeing nod. You believe them now, don't you? Let's just say, I've seen what you can do and the effect is the same whether you're who you say you are or not. This neighbourhood is destroyed. The buildings, relationships, trust, you've done it. I haven't done anything, Councillor Blake. Hobbs topped up his cup from a cheaply plated pot designed to look like chase silver. I didn't have to. They did it all by themselves, and they started doing it the minute they didn't care where their kids were at night, or when they turned a blind eye to stolen goods, or even when they dumped their engine oil down the drain. That's why I didn't seek out war and unrest, Councillor. I can do my business best where people will do nothing, however small, to make things better. You create strife. It was always here. You've made damn sure they'll have something to fight over. As I said, Councillor, I've done nothing. He smiled a really genuine smile. Like you, you do nothing quite often, don't you? There's just the one of me... It took many more humans to bring this estate to its knees, and I couldn't have done it without them. I am having a debate with the Antichrist. Jeff grasped at a fleeting feeling of amazement. All the party coups he had survived, all the secrets and favours he held against a political rainy day, were instantly dwarfed. He had no media audience, and yet he felt his sins were broadcast to the whole world. The Antichrist's smile widened. "'as if he shared Jeff's moment of revelation. "'Graham Vance,' he said, "'your own personal share of inaction among many. "'Good day, Councillor Blake.' "'When he walked back down Hobbs' path again, "'he noticed the dead patches of grass either side of Hobbs' fence "'had spread to swallow up both adjoining gardens. "'It was still a pleasant spring day, "'even if he did have to dodge a petrol bomb lobbed by a couple of kids.' Jeff left Hursley Rise, dwindling, in his rear-view mirror. The further he drove from the riot zone, the more normal the world became. He counted the lilac trees, one, a gap, then twos, and threes, and then a wall of blossom and a scent that drifted in through the air vents, and the scent that drifted in through the air vents was almost sickeningly sweet. He wondered how long it would be before they dried and shriveled too. He pulled into a garage to fill up, As he waited at the cash desk for his receipt, he glanced at the lunchtime edition of the local paper on the counter. "'Elections tomorrow. Who can save this city?' said the headline. "'Not me,' Jeff muttered, and the cashier glanced at him. He pocketed his change and thought of Graham Vance. "'You do nothing.' The taunt stung him. "'Nothing. And maybe he wasn't the man to save the city either.' but he had a growing feeling that there was one thing he could do, a small and selfless act that might start the world moving in another direction. He took out his phone, thumbed through the directory, and began dialing the chief internal auditor. The news about Vance would probably break just as the polls opened in the morning, making up the minds of all abstainers and don't-knows. It had felt good being in office. He'd miss it.
2: career politician tries to avoid getting involved while the apocalypse flares up around him. Doesn't sound remotely familiar at all, does it, dear listener? About as likely as the Antichrist showing up in a council estate, don't you think? If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast and other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. As already mentioned, please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running, hopefully every week. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators may be petrol-bombed. So, from your host, Nicola Seaton-Clark, our editor, Gary Dowell, and audio engineer extraordinaire, Mark Sanfardino, We're signing off for this week. I'll see you all in two weeks, dear listeners. Have a great Halloween. Bye now.
1: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.